0: Hi everybody, I'm Sess Busby, editor of Flying Solo. Welcome to our weekly podcast where we step inside the minds and lives of soloists and small business owners. Today's guest is Chelsea Pottinger. Chelsea is an international motivational speaker, mindfulness and meditation coach, and the founder of EQ Minds. Over the past few years, she's worked with some of the world's leading brands, helping their teams build resilience and maximize their potential. She joins us today to share some actionable insights on how to invest in your mental and physical wellbeing, and we chat about her new book, The Mindful High Performer. Welcome, Chelsea. Thanks so much for joining me on the show today.
1: Thanks a lot, Seth for having me. It's such a joy to be here with you today.
0: Now, you've been very, very open about your own struggles with mental health a few years ago after your pregnancy. Um, I'm wondering why did you feel it was so important to have
1: those conversations?: I think it's you know, to be honest, it's really important as human beings that we show a bit more of our authentic self. I think there's been a really big stigma for years when it comes to people suffering a mental illness, and I find it fascinating because... We don't stigmatize really much else. You know, we don't shame people if they're taking medication for, say, their asthma flares up or they are taking insulin for diabetes, but for some reason with a mental illness, one, people don't talk about it, and two, I feel like there's a really big stigma as well around that medication piece. And I thought, wow, if I could share my story, and it helps one person open up where they're brave enough to go and ask for help from their doctor or psychologist or get themselves to safety, then that would be amazing, right? Like imagine that impact that that would have if just it helped one person get them to safety. So I hope it's doing that. I really hope it's helping, you know, break that stigma and own that conversation around mental illness. And it's helping more people out there to go and get themselves help and also to realise that you're not alone on this journey. You know, there's a lot of people out there that have anxiety and depression and, and other mental illnesses that you feel like sometimes you're the only one going through it.
0: Yeah, it is really interesting because also there can be a, a denial and I don't know whether that's because of the, the element of stigma that is associated with um Uh, mental health struggles or whether it's just people just want to keep going, (laughs) you know. So sometimes there's just this this thing where people are feeling anxious or stressed or depressed and they just don't really want to recognise
1: it, which makes it even harder, I think, to get help. Absolutely. And I think, you know, if we look at research, 70% of people still don't know really what to look out for when it comes to the signs of their mental health and whether it starts to decline. That's really alarming to me. You know, I feel like our nation and our globe, get we need to get a lot more empowered and a lot more educated of, of what to look out for. And then if you do spot, start to spot those symptoms within yourself, then the best thing, you know, to do is to arrest those signs quickly because the quicker you can get onto this kind of stuff, you know, the quicker you can recover. And I think that's a huge thing is, you know, the more you try and run away from it or push away, man, if you're trying to run away from anxiety, it is going to hunt you down like a truck. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> so it's just so important. You've got to own this stuff, right? you just got to take accountability. And I feel, you know, I didn't want perinatal anxiety and depression, And I used to say that to my psychiatrist when I ended up in hospital. I'm like, why do I have anxiety? I'm a nice person. And she's like, it's not about being nice or not. You've got a vulnerability there to it and you have it. You're going to have to own this and you're going to have to do things in your power to make sure that we can keep that at bay. And, and you know what, I I really feel like this says when you own the stigma, it no longer owns you, you know, it's part of the, uh, the tapestry of your life and it kind of loses the power. Uh, and you're back in control. So what are some signs
0: then? Because you, you spoke about we don't often always recognise the signs. What are some things we should be looking out for that might be saying, actually, we're on the verge of burnout or, you know, that's not just having a sleep in, that's depression?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that's a really, really good question. and And to be honest, it's going to be different for different people. In terms of you know what they spot within themselves, and so it's really being aware of kind of what that looks like for you. So I'll I'll walk, I'll talk you through just a couple of really, um, to me like ones that should be well known and, and we need to be kind of on the lookout for. So. We're usually saying, and, and this is from RUAK, the resources, and also Beyond Blue and Black Dog Institute have got fantastic resources out there too, but when we're looking for signs of mental ill health or it starts to decline, things like what are you saying or what are people saying to you? You know, Are you, are you feeling confused? Are you unable to switch off? Like you're in this kind of hyper-productivity mode. Are you concerned that you're a burden to others? Are you feeling this full sense of loneliness? Are you lacking self Esteem, and then you know what what are you doing? Like your actions, are you having mood swings, or are you withdrawing from people, or cancelling plans, or are you becoming less interested in your appearance, or is there a change in some kind of sleep sleep pattern of yours? And then the 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 other thing is to know what's going on in your life. You know, these big changes. Have you gone through a relationship breakdown? Are you going through a major health issue? Has someone in your life just been diagnosed with cancer? have you got this constant stress going on? Have you lost someone that you love? Are you going through financial difficulty? Have you just had a baby? You know, so I think it's a few things to to be aware of. For me personally, I get really hyperproductive. Now, I know that sounds really good in theory, but where this gets dangerous is when it turns into mania where you get anxiety insomnia and it kinda of, you start spiraling into a darker place. And so I am very aware of my signs and symptoms. So as soon as I see that happen, I'm like, right, you need to double down right now in self care. You need to take care of what's going on. This is a, a warning sign that you're pushing yourself too hard at the moment.
0: So what are some simple things that you do to kind of take that pressure off for yourself?
1: So I think one of the things is putting in really good boundaries. You know, I will, if I notice that I'm starting to, to slip, I'll take a good three days off. So I'll take the weekend plus an extra day where I'll just do the things that I know is the basics, isn't it? It's like all the simple things that we know what we need to do. I'll cut my coffee intake and booze straight away for those few days. I like to have a coffee. I definitely drink a glass of Shiraz. But if I start to notice anxiety flaring up, those things are done. Like just for a few days while I'm getting myself back on track, I'll then do things that I know that really nourish me. So for things like with stress management, it'll be exercise. I will go, you know, for a bike ride with my family, go for a surf. I'll meditate. So I'll actually double down more on the meditation stuff. Uh, I might book in for a massage. I don't have late nights. I honor my sleep. So I'm just getting myself back on track again. If by Monday I'm still not back on track, then I know that I need to extend that period out. Maybe I need to book in for a holiday and take a week out, and usually that is enough for me to go. Okay, you know, maybe you've taken on too much, and then so it's getting really good again at saying no to things uh, and and just making sure that I'm going inward and making sure that I'm protecting me and my and my family. Um, so. They're just some simple things that I do. You know, I eat clean for those few days. I cut the sugar. I do. I just cut kind out of the you know the triggers that I know that could upset um, my anxiety and things like that. Uh, I usually don't go on social media for a few days. So I just try and eliminate, or I don't watch the news. <laughs> you know, just <laughs> eliminate a few of these things, uh, and I have just got supportive people around me in the in those periods of time. So, did you
0: say no a lot and turn social off and go on a lot of holidays while you were writing your book?
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's a really great question uh so really interesting says you know without with the book that's coming out the mind for high performer uh and and it's a real vulnerable share to be honest. so when I signed the book deal, it was uh started January and it was a seventy thousand word turnaround by. April or May right so the deadline was just so tight plus I was at university I'd come off the back of training 100,000 people we bought a house things were as you can imagine (laughs) right you can already hear it you know where I was heading and so I signed the book deal and I had had about nine months off medication at that stage so I weaned off Soloft uh, any anxiety medication I was taking and so I signed this book deal and that night anxiety insomnia and I'm like no so I called my psychiatrist and she, we, we get along really, really well actually because uh, my husband came into my bedroom the next morning and said, you know, sweetheart, what's going on for you? And I said to him, darling, I can feel myself going into a relapse. And I was crying and he's just put his arms around me and he's like, honey, it's going to be okay. We've been here before. We know exactly what to do. And so we we called the psychiatrist and She's like, "What have you done?" <laughs> and I said, "Oh, I've effed myself. I've signed this book deal." And she's like, "Well, congratulations!" But how? How? What's the turnaround time? And I told her, and she said, "You know what? It's going to be okay. You know, let's get you back on a zolof. Let's get you some melatonin over the next month to get you back on track. Pause the company. Take four weeks off. Double down on your self care while you're weaning back onto medication." And I did that. You know, I took a month off. All I, the, I liken, you know, when you have a mental illness relapse to an injury of your body right say if you go for a run and you do your knee and it's swollen you can't run the next day right you've got to ice it and rest it and go to the physio and the same thing when you tear a muscle in your brain I feel like it's like a laceration in there and anyone that's listening who has suffered a mental illness they'll understand that you know you don't have as much bandwidth you can't make clear-cut decisions you're in total rehab mode and I know that, you know, and, um, and I was disappointed, to be honest, that I was back at that stage of going back through a bit of a trench of a time. But whenever I have these challenges in my life, when I get through it, I look back at with a moment of gratitude because that month I did take the month off. I surfed, I played Lego with my daughter, I breathed, I just hydrated, you know, I did all the right things that I knew that I see in research and, and what I study every day. And then, you know, to make that recovery quicker, four weeks later, I come back and I, and I called Murdoch, uh, the publishing house, and I said to them, one, I can't do this book, you know, in a few months' time. Two, if I am going to do the book, <laughs> I need a year. Three, if I'm going to do the book, please get me a ghostwriter, get me an expert writer, to help me with this process. I am not a writer. I've got an amazing message I want to share with the world, but my expertise isn't writing. So I need a great ghostwriter. And number 4, would you please let me write about medication in the book? Because we can be doing everything in our life, right? We've got the toolkit there. You got your gut health sorted, you sleep's good, your meditation, your but sometimes people with a really strong vulnerability to mental illness like myself, we still need more. You know, I still need serotonin as a part of my toolkit. And, Sess, they were amazing. They said, 100%, we will absolutely do that with you. And they said, Chelsea's book isn't even, she said, it's going to be more powerful than the original book. You know, first of all, you're owning the story and the stigma around a mental illness, and two, you are talking openly about medication. And so, Sess, you know, looking back on that, I mean, that's why, you know, I, I just received my the first copy of my book on the weekend. And I'm so proud of this piece because it's got so many amazing tools in there, and uh, and the ghostwriter I had was just such a weapon of a human being, and we became really good buddies doing it, and uh, and I think this is going to help so many people, uh, and it's a really honest share as well as really practical science based, and, and it's and it's quite a funny funny book, you know, for a serious topic, um. So yeah, I just want to be honest with your audience then because. I think people look at you sometimes when you're in the health and well-being space going, well, they've got it all together, you know. The truth is sometimes we still, you know, get derailed. <laughs> Life is like <lighter>. that. <laughs> <laughs> so why did you decide you
0: wanted to focus on mindful high performance?
1: Because I think it's an interesting thing around people. Sometimes there's a, there's a bit of a culture out there that you can't be mindful but a high performer at the same time. People feel like if you meditate, you can be so chill and calm that you're not going to be on edge. It's actually the opposite, right? It's like you actually need to have these mindful tools in your toolkit to sharpen up the tool, which is your brain, to be a higher performer. It's like this, you know, this double-edged sword, people are like, oh, I need to get more done so I'll give up on the sleep, which actually should be <laughs> <also> true, <laughs> right? It's like the barefoot investor. Yes. It's like the downhill skiing. They're like, you know, when you're coming down a black run, you must face down. That's the last thing you want to do. It's it's kind of like, yeah, I, I just really love that kind of term to help people stop in their tracks and think, wow, I can actually live a life that I feel fulfilled and happy and at peace but also be a very big achiever or performing whatever it looks like in people's lives
0: so what about if we are doing a great job but then there's still that little voice in our head going oh you're shit (laughs) like (laughs) how do we tell that to shut up
1: so I think this comes with a a few different kinds of techniques and tools and you're not alone you know like apparently we have about 70,000 thoughts a day majority of them are negative thanks to this negativity bias our brain has it kind of hunts out the stuff that we need to look at from a a space of survival so Mm. it's kind of velcros up against more the negativity bias so we are up against it every day so it is very normal for us to have reoccurring thought patterns and that are not super positive in nature yeah, thanks so, cavemen yeah right <laughs> thank you to the savannah and back to having to just try and survive however there's some great things that we can do whether it's you know some resilient strategies of, of talking back to what you're recognizing in the book we talk about it with dr lucy hone's technique around noticing the thought pattern that's coming up asking yourself, hey, is this helping me or harming me? You know, is this thought pattern helpful or harmful? And as soon as you recognize that, you know, worrying about the kids getting sick all the time or worrying about the mortgage repayments or what we're doing to our planet, if we're constantly thinking about that kind of stuff and catastri- you know, catastrophizing that at two in the morning where we can't sleep, those thinking patterns are actually quite harmful. And as soon as you recognize that in your brain, it will work a thousand percent in your favor and not release dopamine, your reward chemical. And instead, you get to move yourself into a little bit of action instead of hitting you know, one of those ruminative pedal feedback loops where you can actually go, okay, that's a harmful feedback loop, so what am I going to do about it? And you go into a bit of management where you go fact-finding right, to get the factual checks around what your untrue, outdated thinking patterns are telling us sometimes. And then once your brain recognizes the facts, it kind of relaxes a little bit. We can move more into action. And so that's just one of about, I don't know, a thousand tools we we deliver in our book, The Mindful High Performer. Because that's a common one, Sess. You know, people do get derailed by their thinking patterns. Uh, a couple of others where we teach people how to practice mindfulness where you are in the moment and what to do if you do notice a thought popping up, you know, even the practice and training around meditation helps strengthen our parts of your brain and then also makes our amygdala less reactive so then which kind of blows your mind right in terms of if our amygdala our stress and anxiety center is less reactive it means that we are less quick to rise to anger or less reactive to the current situation or we're more in the moment we're less anxious we're less stressed so one you're not alone two there's plenty of tools and techniques to help you in the book. Three, if it's deeper than that, and this is what I always say to people, but there's so many practical things that we can do. But if you're noticing for a few weeks that you are almost not functioning, you know, you can't get out of your house because your worry or your anxiety is so severe, it is so important you go and speak to an expert. You go and speak to, you know, your doctor and psychologist and and get some really deeper tools for yourself because we want you to have a fulfilled and happy life. and. I want this conversation to be as normal as going to get yourself a personal trainer, right, <laughs> in terms of, you know, it's okay to have experts in the space. You need them around. I've got a great team. Like I've got a great doctor, a great integrative doctor, a great psychologist, a great psychiatrist. I mean I have everyone around me all the time um, to help navigate through this life.
0: What about uh, the opposite of that if if you're one of those? Like I think there's a place for optimism I'm fairly optimistic person, but what about if you're one of those eternally positive people who always thinks everything's going to be okay? Is that almost <laughs> as bad as as oh, woe is me, everything's terrible?
1: that's It's a really interesting one actually. and I think you know it's it's fantastic to tap into positive energy and have an optimistic outlook. However, you know we can't positive poly our whole life all the time, and it's it's okay, right, to feel angry and sad when you experience a setback or some adversity in your life. And, you know, a lot of researchers talk about, Brene Brown's one of them, talks a lot about toxic positivity and the way sometimes the Instagram culture has put pressure on us to kind of push our negative feelings away and just kind of meditate, yoga or red <laughs> sauna, <laughs> our, our problems away. <laughs> um, the truth is, you know, without negative feelings, we would not have positive ones and that's what makes us human and you know we we do definitely have strategies there to help people foster a growth mindset in that in the in the book and that's that just means taking those feelings and then opting to be responsible with, with our emotions and negative emotions are very normal they're very healthy and they often have actually benefits for us but when we're approaching say a setback or a challenge or adversity with a wider emotional vocab and eventually finding the confidence to choose a growth mindset action, that's what kind of breeds the resilience. And and every time someone will do that, their capacity for resilience will get stronger and stronger, just like the muscle. But, yes, it is important that, you know, this good vibes only that actually does not exist. <laughs> it is really important. <laughs> it is okay, all right, to have a crap day. In fact, it's inevitable if you're living a balanced life. Yeah. Um. It
0: was interesting you just mentioned resilience as well and I think for a lot of business owners the pandemic has put a lot of pressure but also um, helped business owners be more resilient and more agile but still I think there is this big juggle. People are wearing even more hats than they had to before and it's not just the business owners, it's the employees as well. So what are some steps that you think people can take to still be um, productive and keep up with that kind of increased pressure of their work but be more perhaps mindful about it so that they're taking better care of themselves?
1: Yeah, that's a a really, really great question. And you're right, you know, with this whole resilience, and resilience is a bit of a a hot topic, isn't it? You know, we we get asked, that's probably one of the key things we get asked all the time in our corporate workshops and our keynotes around grit and resilience is one of the key things that people come to us for. And again, there's there's ways that we can train that muscle up. Resilience is a great thing because if we can actually give people practical tools and tips to build that those kinds of things up. Uh, and so, one one thing you know in psychology, and these are all great techniques to bolster mental health and and give us a leg up, right? In in kind of performance, one of them is that comes to mind is a topic called self-efficacy. And it's this sort of social learning concept by, by a gentleman called Dr. Albert Bandoros. So he's the psychologist and academic that came up with this. But essentially, what self-efficacy is, and we've gone through COVID, we've been through some really tough times. Like where I live down the South Coast, we had bushfires followed by the COVID chaser and then floods, right? So we've had our community is as, as resilient as we can be. And it's
0: the biblical <laughs>
1: God's wrath
0: raining down. <laughs>
1: And one of the things I love about self-efficacy is it's the judgment that we have about ourselves and our ability to perform well, right, in a particular area or our ability to kind of bounce forward. And it's this perception that we have about ourselves and what we believe we can or can't do. And what we see at uni is that people with high self-efficacy, they're going to exert more effort and persist for longer in the face of difficulties. So if you're thinking from a corporation business point of view, this is what we want for our employees, right? We're going to be facing change all the time. If there's parents that are listening or aunties and uncles and you've got a future generation child around you, this is what we want for our younger generation is that when insurmountable barriers pop up, they're able to surpass that and they're capable, you know, they're really confident in their capabilities, their approach, their challenges, and they look at these things as to be mastered rather than something to be avoided and so there's ways that we can build up people's self efficacy through you know we we discuss it with techniques in the book um and there's four main things that we lean on when we're looking at resilience and how to grow that out for for people and so again, it's like what we what I'd love to do is just arm people with this buffet of tools that they can lean on a couple of things right to help them kind of build up those chinks in their armor uh, so Yeah, I think that's the self-efficacy one is fantastic. Um, There's things like, you know, personal attainment, there's social modelling, so drawing inspiration from people who you deem similar to you. Uh, And then there's another one called verbal persuasion and that's pretty much just, you know, having your your cheer squad around you, someone who pumps up your tyres and someone who can be really honest with you as well so they kind of hold you accountable but it's like why it's so important in the, in the professional world to get yourself a mentor, right? And, and I think that's a huge thing. I mean, that's one of the best things I've done in business in the last six years was get a CEO mentor as well as an entrepreneurial mentor. And my goodness, they give me such incredible insights to help me to thrive in this mental health business space. Uh, so, yeah, there's lots of different ways that we can foster those kinds of techniques,
0: What's the best advice you've received from those mentors of
1: late? Oh, that's a really, really good question. Uh, The best advice would be take care of yourself. If you fall down, it it doesn't just impact you, it directly impacts the people you love and it's going to impact your company. You're going to have to close it down. So one, invest in a really good calendar system and two, the first calendar entry I want you to make is you every day. I want you to book in time, when you're going to do your physical activity, when you're going to do your mental health breaks. And, you know, the EQ Minds brand, we want this as a legacy company that's going to live beyond me as the founder. And for that to happen, we need longevity in this game. And so also as you're scaling companies, your troops observe you. It's like children watch their parents, your employees watch you in the executive team, the CEO, the founder. If you're like, yes, we're all about mental health here, and you're flicking out emails at midnight, that is like not congruent. <laughs> <to your message. laughs> so that would be the, that would be. I mean, they've taught me so much, and I'm so grateful to both of them. But that was a that's one that I think is important for all of us that's listening. Is that that whole thing around, you know, if you feel like it's a selfish act that you're looking after yourself, one of the best things my psychiatrist ever said to me was, Charles, if you don't look after you who suffers? And I'm like, me. And she's like, yes. And who else? And I said, well, my daughter, Clara. And she's like, she doesn't deserve a burnt out, anxious, stressed mum at the end of the day. And I'm like, you're right. So (laughs) so So self-care is number one. Yeah. So I really loved that.
0: It can uh, be so challenging, I think, for people to put themselves first though, but so essential. So it's that, you know, put the oxygen mask on first scenario.
1: It really is and that's why I say to people if you're really struggling with, with how to motivate you, think of someone that you love more than yourself in this life and you do it for them. And I think about that every day. When I sit down and I think about, you know, the most important task for the company for the day and I do that first. But as a part of that is what's the most important thing I can do for my mental health and physical health today because at the end of the day Clara deserves a happy, fulfilled, you know, mindful, emotionally dialed in mum. So it's a real, I found that a very strong hook for me. If you struggle to intrinsically motivate yourself and you're like, oh, I'm like fourth or fifth or i pecking order behind the dog, you know, think about how you can change that, rotate that equation to you being on top.
0: <laughs> behind the dog.
1: That's pretty bad.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so the mindful high performer, I imagine there might be some productivity tips in there as well. Yeah, absolutely.
1: A lot on productivity.
0: What's your quick takeaway for our listeners? On productivity?
1: Yeah. Oh, my goodness. There's so many. I know. It's like
0: I've just said, (laughs) explain to me (laughs) the the worlds
1: of the world. (laughs) Wow. There's a lot on there in terms of productivity. Uh, We've got a whole chapter actually dedicated to that. So I would say something that I think would be really interesting that maybe people haven't heard of before, uh, would be working within your, um, ultra Dean rhythm. So your body kind of flows into these flow states in time and you're in the groove. So like circadian rhythms that you have at night time, these 90 minute cycles of light and deep REM sleep. The body also has ultra Dean rhythms during the day of peak and low focus points. And if you're someone who like pushes through for three or four hours of meetings or back to back emails without taking a break on that 90 minute cycle, you're going to burn the glucose out in your front part of your brain. So again, it's counterintuitive, right? You're having these proper brain breaks. So you're sustaining the energy in the brain. And it's where you have to truly let your brain rest every 90 minute cycle. So it's just for five minutes. That's all your brain needs is for a recharge. So I I actually put my clock on my phone, you know, to let me know because I'm someone who could feel like I could power through. And so it's just, you know, I take a break. Technology-free is the key. So I'd go for a five-minute, you know, brain break. It could be, you know, you just go and have yourself a coffee or you go for a walk outside, you make a snack in the kitchen, do a meditation, you listen to a song while you vacuum a room if you're working from home. And so, you know, it's that whole thing around setting this clear objective in the day and and kind of mapping that out for that 90-minute cycle And then when I'm in a deep flow state like that, I'll eliminate all the distractions, you know, things like putting my phone on air flight mode and out of office or unavailable on my calendar. And then I set that timer and I'll work in 90-minute intervals and usually to binaural beats or something that's going to help me sustain that really nice deep flow state. So that would be something that I would, yeah, get people to try out um, 90-minute flows during the day and see how you feel at the end of the day. Just check in science. We always say, you know, N equals one, like you're the best subject matter. Knowledge is powerful, but only if you do something with it, right? So if you try this, say, ultra gene rhythm for a 90-minute cycle, see how you feel at the end of the day when you're taking these proper brain breaks throughout the day.
0: Hmm. And what if it's not working for you?
1: <laughs> <laughs> if it's not working for you in terms of your energy, then yeah. I would try something a bit different. I'd try a Pomodoro technique, which is 25 minutes on, 5 minutes off that's usually for shorter, sharper bursts of energy. So maybe you're pushing it too hard for the 90 minutes. So I would would try 25-minute on, 5-minute off and see if that makes a bigger difference instead. If you're still at the end of the day and you're gassing out, then I would say maybe it's time to have, you know, a a longer weekend and go back to simplifying everything uh, because you could be falling down into a little bit of burnout and before you spiral too far, you know, take those three days to recover. And, and catch it early, catch the burnout early before you kind of, you know, end up having to take a week or a month off because you become unwell.
0: Mm. Is simplification just the key to it all?
1: I think so. Look, I think that's one of the keys of my happiness, to be honest, is just simplifying my life back. And it's it's, you know, it's those simple pillars of sleeping well and eating whole foods and having a stress management technique and tool in there and doing some charity work. Like that's a key to happiness. And then it's like your simple things like minimize what you have in your house. You know, when you've got a lot of clutter, we have a cluttered mind. Uh, So I think simplifying everything back, have quality friends around you, not necessarily quantity. So simplifying that back, uh, my mum gave me, I mean, my mum's such a wise counsel. She's given me some crackers in my life. But one of them was, you know, Chels, when I first got my first phone when I was 19, can't even, my daughter can't comprehend that. But, you know, the Nokia 5210, the big bricks. And mum said, darling, every September, I want you to spring clean your wardrobe. So have a capsule wardrobe, keep 50 things, have really high quality and just have a very minimalised wardrobe. And two, spring clean your mobile phone. So anything that is toxic, if you feel like you're walking out of somewhere and you feel like there's a knife in your back, those kind of people are now gone. Just delete their number. And I'm like, mom, that is so not nice. And she's like, yeah, but it's going to be vital for your well-being. And she was so spot on because I haven't had to spring clean my phone for about 15 years. And my tribe of human beings around me are just exceptional people. And, but again, that's simplifying my whole life. And it's like that whole emotional contagions are very real. Like we talk about that in the book, you know, in terms of there's a guy there called Nicholas Christakis, and his research has been amazing around our moods are contagious. So, again, it's not t- saying, you know, good vibes only, you can only turn up happy every day. But what it does say is that if you've got people in your life, that have been anchoring you down for 15 years and there's a word of caution here I mean if they're going through a mental illness please don't desert them they need you right beside them to help them recover and but these are people who are just like vampires and they're just bitchy right those kind of people just gently goodbye and what will happen is you're going to create more space for someone more amazing to walk in your front door and then those kind of people hang out together so Simplify your life. Simplify your friends. Simplify your well-being. <laughs> uh, you don't have to go on these mad, crazy diets, right? It's just like whole foods, diversity of plants, you know, and have strong connections around you, but fewer of them, you know, uh, which is a beautiful thing, I think, cess of aging as well, right? Like when you get to my age, I'm I'm 40 now. It's all about quality of people that you hang out with, right? It's not about qu- Quantity of numbers of followers, it's like you're so happy in your own skin. I think aging is a beautiful thing. I think that's a part of the wisdom that comes with as you get older. It's really lovely. You're content, you're happy in your own skin, and you choose those people really wisely who you spend time with. That's super sound advice. I'm so glad that I've
0: had you on the show today. Thank you so much for. Everything you've told our listeners, I think it's been so valuable. Now, would you like to give a plug to the book because it will be coming out very soon?
1: Oh, thank you, Seth. That means the world to us. Yeah, it's it's called The Mindful High Performer. It's available for pre-order sales at the moment. Uh, It comes out the 31st of May. You can get it wherever you get all your books from. And I always think this, if this just helps one person, maybe it's a rural mum in Dubbo that picks up the book who doesn't get access to you know, the things that we teach the big corporate world and they learn one thing about that that then helps them and, and their child or their niece, I think wouldn't that be a beautiful place if we're just helping each other one step, one breath at a time. So I'd love you to check out the book. You can follow us at EQ Minds on Instagram. We do a lot of mental health tips and tools up there every day and from my grateful heart to yours, sis, thank you so much for turning the volume up on mental health and performance. We are so grateful here.
0: Oh, thank you so much.